Welcome back to Over Here. My name is Nick Finzer, and today we are going behind the scenes on a class that I gave a few weeks ago, and I wanted to share it because I thought it might be of relevance to many of you who are seeking careers in music, seeking careers uh, in jazz, or it could be any sort of music field. I was talking to a bunch of students uh, talking about how to get gigs and how to get the gigs that you really want, not just the ones that come your way. That was the prompt for the question, and we kind of meander through a bunch of things. Uh, We don't stick directly to that question, but uh, it's kind of chopped up a little bit. Uh, You can hear a bunch of different things about this, but let me know what you think about this format for the podcast for the over here. I thought it would be interesting to switch up the format a little bit from uh, interview to more of a uh, Q&A from live people format. So if you are new here, this is usually where we interview a lot of the outside in music artists and share what they're up to and share things about their upcoming releases. So if you're interested to find out more, head to outsideofmusic.com, check out the Facebook channel and the YouTube channel. There's lots of videos coming out every week as well as podcasts every week. So thanks for being here and I hope you enjoy this talk. So I thought I would start with um, the question this is how it's worded. It was worded to me. How to hustle and get gigs you want and not just settle for what comes your way. Uh, does it one of you submit this question? Um, so I think that as ja- you know, jazz musicians, as musicians, that there's, I, I think of all gigs, all career-related stuff, kind of, and put them into things into camps. And um, I think that there's a lot of gigs that, you do that are kind of like the craftsmanship of being a great musician. And that's what gets you the gig, right? You have to be able to read, you have to be able to execute what needs to be executed when it needs to be executed. So maybe it's corporate band gigs, theater gigs, you know, studio, like reading gigs, uh, anything like that. Touring shows, all that stuff is like, you have to develop your musicianship to a point where you know that you can execute it, and other people can know and rely on you to execute those things. And that's a, it's kind of just across the board. But then on the other side is like, is the artistic side, where somebody wants to hire not only just saxophone, but they want to hire you, you know? So you have to kind of develop skills on both sides to be able to work, especially, I think it's probably always been this way. I think we sometimes get a little romantic that it used to be a different way, you know, of being in the industry where you had to, you didn't always have to do everything, but I think generally musicians have always had to be able to do lots of things and play different styles and all that stuff. Um, and so it's kind of trying to find, trying to find the balance within your own conception of what you want your life to be between those two types of gigs, because obviously most of the time the artistic gigs don't pay as much as the corporate gigs, you know, those things pay more, usually, not always, but, uh, so you kind of have to find a balance for you, what makes sense, and what you want, and uh, identify, you know, how, how you're going to get those gigs, and, and then um, go for them. So, on the general business side, I mean, I think, this is just my personal philosophy, is that I go for the opportunities that are going to be the highest return on my time, and I'm talking like monetary return on my time. Um, if I'm going to play for a wedding agency, I want to play for the wedding agency that pays the most. Like, I don't care what it is. 
if the band is better or worse, if the organization is more difficult or less difficult to deal with. But if I'm going to put time into something that's like not my, my most passion, I want to put it into the biggest return that I'm going to get. So for me, it's, it was when I was in New York trying to talk to people like what agencies are good, what are bad, stay away from the bad ones, try to get in with the good ones, um, and uh, try to make sure that when you go into those situations, you execute the things. Like I was talking about being really ex excellent at the craft of your instrument whether voice or otherwise, and being able to come in and do the gig. And you, you know that already. But uh, sometimes there's like circumstances that you can't control where you get into a band. Usually what happens is somebody leaves, right? So I, was in, I had just finished school, my master's, and a trombone player, a uh, friend of mine had gotten a gig in the WDR band, so he moved to Germany. There was a, sl a slot open in this band. I started playing some gigs. About maybe six months into playing with this band, the band leader kind of called me over to, to her to like talk after the gig. She had her phone in her hand and she wanted to show me something. So she showed me this YouTube video. And I'll, I'll leave this other trombone player nameless, but she showed me a video of this guy and he had been um, dancing and playing trombone at the same time, like for all this different stuff. She's like, oh, can you do this? Like, can you do this? I'm like, no. This not really what I do. I just play trombone. I don't really dance. And she's like, okay, cool. And uh, about two weeks later, I got an email saying, you can release all the dates that you're holding uh, for this band. Thanks for your time, etc." Come to find out on Instagram, of course, a friend of mine posted a picture, and it was this, they had gotten that guy from the YouTube video <laughs> to play in this wedding band. And uh, so sometimes things are outside of your control. And you just have to, like what I was saying, like you have to figure out how far, or how how far, or how deep you're willing to go for those gigs. And my, I guess my line was, I was not willing to, uh, not willing to dance, and uh, not dance. Like it wasn't like I wasn't willing to move on stage. It was like dancing, dancing, like break dancing, kind of like really intense, like not just like moving around. Um, so you just have to define for yourself kind of where those things are. And so I ended up having to move from there to a different agency where the agency I was working for for a long time, it paid a little less, but the people were super chilled out and the gigs were really low stress. And so it ended up that that, after dealing with this hot, kind of high stress individual that wanted a lot from me, I moved to a different situation where I could you know, just go make the money on Saturday night and go back to my real life as a jazz musician uh, for the rest of the week. Um, so, like I was saying, high, the highest rate of return for your time. And the other thing that I would focus on when I was in New York in terms of that was playing Broadway shows. And it was, playing a Broadway show was never something that I thought I would want to do when I was an undergraduate. I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I'm, I don't need to do that, whatever, whatever. Uh, and then come to find out that it's like when you start thinking about the hours it takes to play a wedding gig, for example, you start to think that uh, even though the wedding gig probably pays more, that maybe actually doing a Broadway show could actually be, or a theater show, could actually be a better use of your time. Again, it's just up to your personal sensibility. But for me, I was thinking, okay, a wedding gig is usually five hours. It's usually we have to be there an, at least an hour, if not two hours before the gig. So that's seven. Uh, most of them in the city, you have to drive out of the city. So you got maybe an hour or two hours drive. So now we're up to nine, 10, <laughs> 11 hours. And all of a sudden, the pay gets more and more diluted for your time. 
And, and uh, so it makes sense that it pays more. But then I'm thinking like, oh, a Broadway show, two acts. First act is usually 90 minutes, second act is an hour. In under three hours, I can be in and out, playing-wise, and then it takes me half an hour to get to the gig instead of two hours. And so maybe the gig probably pays you know, half, half of what the wedding gig pays, but I, get only, I only have to put three or four hours into something that's like adjacent to my passion rather than um, all of it. So uh, whatever you know, the things are that you want to do that are not the main thing, I just encourage you to think about and, and seek out and talk to people in the industry about in the city where you're going to be, whether it's here or elsewhere, and find out like what are the agencies that are good to work for. And not, don't just think about, you know, your friends are in this band or like it's easy. Like try to think about what you want to do and how it's going to help you get from point A to point B. Because I think for most of us, we don't want to just literally play weddings every weekend for the rest of our lives. And it seems, maybe it seems exciting for a while, but then, you know, you don't want to be 60 years old and still depending on those gigs, you know, just to make the rent. And I've seen it time and time again, people that don't plan ahead or don't have a, a path that they want to go down and they end up, you know, they're just like, oh, this pays, I'm going to go and do it, this pays, I'm going to go and do it. And they go, they go, they go. And then there's you know 30 years later of on the hamster wheel of gigs and freelancing as a musician, and they don't end up being able to you know move forward with what they wanted to do. And not not to say that there's anything wrong with that because that's fine, but just to know what you're getting yourself into. And so for me, like I just to reiterate one more time, trying to find the best return on my time. So those are the two main types of gigs that I was that I decided to do. And the third one uh, that I decided to do, which I didn't even know was a thing until I was living in New York. And I don't know if it's a thing everywhere, but I think that this is unique to every city has scenes that you don't know about that exist that are unique to the culture of that area. And so in New York, particularly in Brooklyn, there's a lot of um, really extremely orthodox Jewish people that live there. And there's a whole scene of music that exists around their weddings. and their weddings take place Monday through Thursday, Sunday through Thursday, excuse me. And so you can literally play an event Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then turn around and go and play American club dates on Friday and Saturday if you want to. And I know people that do work almost every day in those scenes. And so those gigs, you know, definitely not super artistically inspiring, but they're you know, the same thing, like a good return on your time. It's a Monday night. What else am I going to do? Sit around and practice. Or I could go make four or 500 bucks and play some music. Um, so seeking out those things that are unique to the city where you live in. Because I know, you know, you go to New Orleans and there's a million brass bands you, that can go play in. Or in New York, that. Or Surprisingly, where I was from, in Rochester, New York, upstate New York, there's a huge um, Puerto Rican population. So there's like huge, 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 like hundreds of thousands of people would come to these Puerto Rican festivals and they would bring up these bands from, singers, excuse me, from Puerto Rico and I happened to be in like the band that was the main backing band for all of these artists that would come in and I didn't know, like that wasn't not my heritage and I had no idea until I, someone was like, oh yeah, you gotta get connected with this band because there's so, there's so much work through this, this one family band that had, you know, all these gigs. So you never know, wherever you end up, what the, th what the things are that you can find. All right, so that's kind of on the general business side of things. 
And, uh, but then when it comes to you know, the artistic side and getting the gigs that you want to get, I think you have to open up your imagination to existing in a, in a circumstance where maybe the instrument that you play doesn't even exist in that arena. So what I mean is like, as a trombone player, not every single band or every musician that I play with uh, has trombone on it. You know, um, for example, someone I'd love to play with is Herbie Hancock. You know, there's not that many records that have trombone on them. Some of the Wandishi stuff has trombone, but he hasn't been doing that for 50 years. You know, so you think about how can you insert yourself into a situation where you can bring your artistic personality, and sometimes maybe if your instrument is not even in that context, you can bring something to the table, and you're not even, you're not competing with someone that's already there and has a kind of spot in that uh, in that band or that that job that position. Um, and I think it's important. We never really think about it too early on in our careers, but literally, you know. Some of the musicians that I met coming up, when I, you think about how they got into bands, if they talk to you about it and you talk to them, probably, I think Christian McBride was here last year, I don't know if he talked about this, about how he got into Freddie Hubbard's band, like one of his, one of his first big gigs. So basically, all he did was just get all the records, learn all the tunes, and show up whenever Freddie would play a gig and wait until he got a chance to, to go on stage and sit in. And basically, being super prepared, learning the person's music that you want to be in their band, you just learn the music so that and then you go to the show. You might have to be in the place where they are, but you have to go to the show and then talk to them and be like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And if you get a chance to play with them and they say, what do you want to play? And you can call one of their tunes, you know, that's like pretty cool. Like as a band leader, if somebody, you know, was like called one of your obscure tunes and they actually knew it, you would be like, oh, wow. That's crazy. <laughs> you, you learned that. Well, great. And so then he played, and then he ended up getting the gig with Freddie Hubbard. And the same thing happened with the drummer that played in Freddie's band, Carl Allen, so told a similar story. And so whatever it is artistically that you guys want to do, whether it's jazz or otherwise, if you want to get into someone's band, you just learn, basically just learn all their music and keep showing up until they either one, tell you to go away, or they you know, let you sit in and you can show them what you've got. You know? So it's about being super super prepared, and you also like love their music. So it's really not that hard to like be prepared because you probably know ninety percent of the tunes. You just have to actually like figure out how to play it and how you would do it if you sat in on their gig. So you know those are that's like a longitudinal kind of situation. But I think you know the the next best thing that you can do is figure out amongst your peers, amongst the, you know, the non-famous people, like who it is you want to play with, who you want to latch on to uh, of your peers, whether they're here at this school or across you know, the world now, but are in your age group, in your generation. You know, they're very early on for me, you, know, you, meet, you move to a new place and you meet some people and you just know that your musical styles gel, even though maybe they already have a person in their band that plays your instrument. But you know, you hang out long enough, you start hiring them to be in your band, and maybe eventually that kind of relationship ends up going back and forth. So someone for me that was like that, there's a great tenor player in New York named Lucas Pino. He has a nonette that um, he put together while he was going to the new school, and there was already a trombone player in the band. But right when I moved to New York, we were going to Juilliard at the same time, and we met. We had a very, we have a very similar way of thinking about music, 
And so we would hang out and talk about music, and I was like, man, I would love to play in your band sometime. He's like, well, I got a guy, and I'm super loyal, so that's probably never going to happen. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And so I started hiring him for my band, and we would make records and blah, blah, blah. And then eventually when that person decided that they needed to go a different way, then it was, then of course I was first to mind because I had said something. And sometimes we forget that uh, what's obvious to us is not always obvious to the, the other person in a conversation. So, you know, actually telling them like, hey, I would love, I love your music. I really would love to play in your band is like something that seems super maybe off-putting to say from our perspective, but to that person, that mean, might mean a lot to them that, that you actually care enough that you want to play in their band. So making your intentions known to people is important. Seeking out those people that you want to play with, hiring them to play in your own projects so that you get to know them, they get to know you, and establishing yourself on both sides of that coin. The artistic side with your peers, with the people that are famous, the people that you want to work with, and then on the general business side, and uh, trying to think about what return you're going to get on your money. Is playing $100 restaurant gigs is cool, but for only for so long, you know, where dinner and two glasses of wine is going to, you know, tide you over and make you feel really, really good uh, enough to pay your rent and all that stuff. Uh, any thoughts or questions about any that sort of stuff? That's just what I think. Everyone's going to have their own opinion. You got to navigate your own life, but. Uh, and I know plenty of people that are unwilling to sacrifice um, their artistic sensibilities and they would rather work a day job than um, work in the musical situations that they don't like. They don't want to offer their you know, services to someone who's not chasing an artistic vision. You know? That's just how some people are and that's totally fine. It's just a totally a personal choice. But. Uh, you know, you can't expect to make like John Zorn type music and be able to live comfortably, you know, in a big city. You know, it's just, it's just the economics just aren't there. You have to be touring in Europe and, you know, not being home to uh, make money, make money there with that type of music. And that's just how it is, at least right now. Maybe it'll change by the time in 10 years or 20 years. I hope so. Who knows? It'll just keep evolving. And it's interesting, though, if you look... If you look back and just like think about what different musicians did through the history, this is something I've been thinking about recently, just kind of looking at not just the part of the career of the players that you like, where they were playing at their like most famous moment, like maybe taking aside like Herbie and Miles and Wayne and Ron, and like thinking, you know, maybe just the tier just under those guys, like, you know, I think about someone, not, not necessarily under those guys, just not as famous. Maybe like, like Sonny Rollins, for example, you know, taking years off of playing and being a taxi cab driver in New York just to like focus on music and shed and not have to worry about like the hustle for a little while. I mean, he's hustling as a cab driver, but not worrying about the music hustle, you know? Or like you know, someone I look up to, J.J. Johnson, he took off almost 20 years from the horn, 15 years, I think it was. He moved to L.A. and started becoming like a film composer and like nobody knows, but he wrote the original theme to General Hospital <laughs> when the soap operas were, you know, starting up and stuff like that. And there's countless stories of these guys that would be playing in all these situations. You know, when I started playing Broadway shows in New York, playing with some of these guys that have been doing it for 50 years, 
you know, be like, oh, baby, I'd, I would be like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this. I don't know if this is what I should be doing. And they're like, man, you shouldn't feel bad about doing this. I played, I don't remember what show it was, Carousel or some random show. And, you know, I showed up and you know who was sitting there playing trombone? It was J.J. Johnson. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I don't have to feel any weirdness about like doing this. And they're like, Wynton Marcellus used to play Broadway shows. And everyone, you see everyone in the pits in New York because that's where, you know, they could make some money when they weren't touring. So, you know, we've kind of idealized the, you know, the Miles Davis and Wayne Shorter and just like making the highest levels of art at all times. But that's, it's not the reality of 99% of what everyone's doing. And it's not that you don't also do that sometimes or, or a lot of the time. It's just that you have to just make yourself available to all the different things and have, be w willing and able to accept the ebbs and flows of your own journey. Like, you know, at this point in time, it's going to be a lot of creative gigs. At this point in time, it's going to be a lot of making money gigs. At this point, you know, it's just going to keep on ebbing and flowing and trying to keep the long view is, is uh, difficult sometimes, but it's, it's important to important to consider. So I hope you'll consider exact, you know, it's hard to know exactly what you want to do, but at least try to think about who you might want to play with, both in an immediate kind of way and in a, you know, tenor. So the way that I've always tried to get gigs is by, one, establishing a reputation of taking care of business, no matter what, and that starts at school, you know, and it starts with having people who are older than you talk good about you to their, their peers. So basically the way that I get into that scene was, the Broadway scene was the, the main guy that I have always subbed for was an Eastman grad. Like, so I went to Eastman, he was just my teacher. He had come up a couple times like during my schooling and I met him and be like, I'm gonna come to New York, I'm gonna come to New York. And like, oh, he's like, when you come to New York, let me know. And so when I got there, he, I was like, oh. I'm in New York, yeah, can I come, can I come, like, watch your show? He's like, yeah, come watch the show, but I can't guarantee I can get you in or whatever. And it, it was, like, two, three shows in. You know, I started, so I moved there in 2010. I didn't start subbing until 13, maybe, or 14. So it took, like, a, a while of trying to be persistent of, like, I'll come watch the show, I'll come do this, I'll come do that. And um, just showing up and having other people talk nicely about you. It didn't hurt that my teacher from undergrad was like vouching for me, you know, so that's, that was a thing. And uh, once I started subbing for him, he's probably one of the top call guys, so then all of a sudden they're like, oh, you're subbing for him? Like, oh, no, you can sub for me, you can sub for me. If he trusts you, I trust you. So that's when I was talking about like the highest return on your time. I've, I thought it was like, well, this guy's the best guy, so I should be subbing for him. If I can sub for him, everybody else will probably, it kind of worked out how I imagined, which was that, Probably they would think I was good enough to sub for them if I subbed for this guy. So that was my way into the Broadway scene. It was a teacher vouching for me and, and then getting into the scene and then taking it super seriously when, and that first time, you know, super seriously and making sure that, like, I better do this right because this could lead to a lot of work. And so putting in the time and making sure everything was together. And then from there, he was like, okay, that was great. And so then every show since, he just didn't have to audition. Just here you go, yeah, you can come sub for me. Like, totally cool. So, and then it kind of just sprinkled out. In terms of the corporate bands stuff, that was, that was kind of a, the same kind of deal. I didn't, I didn't like go hang out at the union and like wait for someone. It was basically playing gigs around town with other players and establishing, 
you know, the skills that you need. Like you go play big band gigs and like they see that you can read and they know that you're willing to, to work and do stuff and hang and hang and be cool. And uh, it leads to, to you know, those, those wedding corporate band opportunities. I, I don't know exactly how it works here, but I, got, I think in New York at least, like the bands aren't necessarily so like set. A lot of them are just like different all the time and different people coming in and out and all that stuff. At least from, for the horn, from the horn player standpoint, like it's like different people all the time. I'm, obviously I don't really know how it works for the band, for the cor corporate bands here, but um, yeah, it doesn't always work out how we hope. It's not always fair. Yeah. It's usually not fair. You, because <clears throat> people trust to hire people that they trust. They want to hire people they trust, excuse me. You know, you think about who you want to hire for your band, you know. It's not only that they're great musicians, you trust that they're going to do certain things, which is, you know, show up, be prepared, and and you have a musical rapport with them, you know. And, and establishing that with a new person is really difficult, you know. It's hard to get, but like you're saying, it's really hard to break in. But once you're in, and people are like, you're with the top band, you're going to get way more calls. Yeah, like... It's all people pulling you along. So you need, it's really important to develop men, mentors, and not even like in an official way, just in an unofficial way, like to develop relationships with people that they trust that you'll represent them in a positive way. You know? um, I can't tell you just like the randomness of like what things lead to what. You know, there was one band that I played with when I was coming up, which was like the main creative. It wasn't a big band, it was like, Three trumpets, two trombones, two bow, three saxes. So it's kind of like a big band, but it was like more of not like standard repertoire. We just played this guy's music, and we played every week. And the gig was not that awesome. It paid ten bucks. It was from nine to twelve thirty on a Thursday, uh, and it wasn't super great area. And the people that hung out at the bar that we played at were like super out, and it was super weird. And I got pulled over, I think, four or five times and got tickets just for, like, because they would just pull people over because it was, like, the, this kind of area where they would just, you know, pull people over. But I played in this band every week for five, four years, I think it was. And uh, because it was, like, the only creative projects, really, to do other than your own project in Rochester. And uh, so at the end of that time, they brought in this composer who uh, introduced us to and connected us with Bob Brookmeyer. Bob Brookmeyer came and made a live record with Bob Brookmeyer, which led me to be able to meet his Bob's assistant at the time, and his assistant's name is Ryan Truesdell, and Ryan now run, was an assistant also for Maria Schneider, and he also has a, a project called the Gil Evans Project, and so from doing that, I then like got when I got to New York, I started selling CDs for Maria when she would play at the Jazz Standard. And I would just go to hang out and try to like hear the music and meet the cats and like all this kind of stuff. And so I'd go and do that. And so by doing that and showing up and being kind of whatever like around, I then started being able to like rehearse with Maria's band. And then maybe someday I'll get to do a gig, but I've never done a gig. I've just done like rehearsals and sound checks and that kind of stuff. And so always saying yes to those things has led to those trombone players in that band recommending me to other things. And then Ryan has had me in his band. And then Ryan recommended me to another composer who is writing for Anat Cohen, who I play with now, who has like a 10-piece band, and so we've been touring with that. And so it was like this kind of crappy gig that I did all during my college was literally the one thing that connected me to the people that are to the, the best opportunities that I have now. 
which is like we're playing at Carnegie Hall in a couple months. Like, great. And, it's, and it's, if you follow the thread back, it's just like really interesting. So that's what I would say. Like whatever you know, things that you're doing now where you can kind of like see, like maybe this isn't the best ideal situation, but if you see it through, you never know who you're going to meet and how it's going to kind of take you to different places. So just being willing to say yes and kind of, it goes against the advice that I just gave you 10 minutes or 20 minutes ago, which was do the thing that returns the most. But that's, but that's not on the artistic side. So there's a few thoughts about hustling, how to get gigs that you want, not just the ones that come your way. Uh, a talk that I gave a few weeks back to some students, and I thought that it was really interesting, and I hope you did too. Please go and check out Outside of Music on Facebook and YouTube if you haven't already, and stay tuned for another podcast next week uh, from one of the members of our team here at Outside of Music. If you want to get on the team, you want to start helping us to create content about jazz and creative music, send me an email, info at outsideofmusic.com, and we'll see you back here next week.